Welcome to Pursuit of Self. I'm your host, Zach. On today's episode, we have Mitchell Jurgens. Here's a formal bio on Mitchell. After the bio, I'll give just a, a few questions that we'll cover on the show. And then I also want to share some of the big takeaways from the show. Uh, Mitchell and I grew up together in Houston, Texas, and he's just gone on to do some amazing things. So here is kind of what he's been up to. He walked onto the BYU football team in 2010. He served a mission in the Mexico, Mexico City West mission from 2011 to 2013. He walked on again to BYU football in 2013. He started as a wide receiver for three years from 2014 to 2016. He received walk-on of the year at BYUY Awards in 2014. He totaled 99 catches for 1,228 yards and eight touchdowns in his career. He set a career high of 172 yards receiving with the game-winning touchdown against Boise. In his personal life, he's married to Shayna Ridley in the San Diego Temple on July 1st, 2016. They have a beautiful daughter. Her name is Myra Jane. She's almost two years old. He currently works as an account executive for AwardCo, which is a recognition um, recognition software recognition business. He also does the sideline reporting for the BYU football team. So big takeaways from the show. Um, actually, first, let me read some of the questions. Just a couple of the questions we'll discuss. Uh, I'll highlight four out of quite a few. I asked, how does he feel when people recognize him? I asked how he feels when people don't recognize him. That question was submitted by his brother. I was happy to have that submission. I asked, what attributes does he still carry with him from his time playing for BYU? I asked, were there ever times that being identified as part of the collective team interfered with his own sense of self? We also tie that question to uh, being a twin. How does being a twin tie into your sense of identity and self? And then we close out the show. Um, I, I have him give uh, a halftime pep talk as we move into the second half of 2020. And what he has to say there is incredibly valuable and helped me a ton. So the big takeaways are that we are multifaceted. Uh, we're pursuing ourselves and, and what we pursue can vary based on where we're needed. Um, set goals and aspire to achieve greatness. Practice so much that action becomes second nature and instinctual. Drown out the noise. Don't get caught up in what people are saying about you. Have gratitude for where you are. Be optimistic. Believe in something bigger than you. It was awesome. I love this episode. I hope you will as well. Uh, if you're enjoying this so far, please subscribe. Please share these with people that you, you think this will be relevant for. Uh, and without further ado, this is Pursuit of Self with Mitchell Jurgens. Boom. Okay, so I think we're on. Here we go. Mitchell Jurgens, Dude, welcome to Pursuit of Self. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, honestly. There's not many people I'd, I'd jump at the opportunity to be on a podcast with, but Zach Zimmerman is one of those guys. So. <laughs> Dude, I'm so glad you left. Um, so to the listeners, uh, just a, a brief backstory, and that is that um, we're a little bit age-gapped. Yeah. What's our, I'm 33, I think, 34. 28. 28. Yep. So uh, growing up, we grew up um, similar church, and um, I was friends with your older brother. So there was kind of a separation in terms of, you know, within our church, you're grouped by age and all the activities you go to. So we didn't overlap that much. I mean, maybe there were like some scout camps that we both would have gone to. Yeah, no. You were, I mean, at the time, it seemed like a much bigger age gap, right? Totally. M totally. Much bigger. And, I mean, I, I looked up to my older brother so much, and 
and and his friends and, and Zach was one of those friends and so um, it was just any any time that I got to just observe Tyler who's my brother and his friends and it was just it was inspiring for me and you just look up to your older brother so much and um, and so you were in that crowd yeah and so automatically my whole life I've looked up to Zach and still do stop. still do stop so. it that's um I appreciate that. What's cool about that is, like you said, as we were kids, the gap is significant. You know, like, there, mostly it's um, opportunity. There's not much opportunity for a 10-year-old to hang out with a 7-year-old or whatever that gap is, or 6. Um, but then we both found ourselves back in Houston, and now we're, like, grown men, married, um, and we've just had an opportunity to kind of get to know each other again, and it's been super fun. Yeah. So... This, the start of this uh, and the way this works structurally is you and I will chat right now and then uh, once this is all done, I'll read through your bio as kind of an intro. So to our listeners, you've already heard the bio. Um, we're going to dive a bit into the things that make Mitchell unique. And so that's my big push on this whole kick, Mitchell, is that I think that people, every single person is super special. And it's so hard to convey that, and it's so hard for them to illustrate that. But I'm hoping that as we kind of look at and unpack your unique experience, um, those listening can kind of make sense of things in their own lives and start to maybe have a little bit more confidence about who they are and what they have to offer. And no, they're not Mitchell, and they're not Zach, but they are Clarice. Is that a name? <laughs> I think it can be. <laughs> you know, like there's something <laughs> unique about that person, and I think that the the one thing I want to uncover from this is how you process each of your personal experiences because your experiences are not mine, but the way you process those is what I think we can unlock and maybe start to get a formula out of. Awesome. Um, so to, to first kickstart, we'll, we kind of touched on this before we pressed record, but what is your perception and understanding of a pursuit of self? Um, your introduction has been a couple of the episodes I've done, um, but I'm, I, I know you've thought about it a bit outside of that. So what do you think? Yeah, so I, I've had the opportunity and, and loved, you know, uh, up to this point, listening to your podcast. And so, you know, the big question, right? Pursuit of self, is it your authentic self or is it your elevated self? And to this day, I mean, I've, I've listened to this podcast for, you know, a, a couple weeks now, and I still don't have an answer. And, and I think that's the beauty of when you look at, um, you know, the pursuit of self, it's going to be, and, and really what I've... What I've, you know, come to a conclusion of what my pursuit of self is, is number one, it can change. Hmm. It can change from a week-to-week basis. It can change on a daily basis. It can be, you know, in one stage of life through certain challenges, it can be maybe your authentic version. But then as, as I jump and I need to take chances on myself, I think, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, but um, when I look back at my life, there have been a number of times where I've had to take risks for myself and I feel like that fits a little bit more with the elevated version where Mm. I'm going to set a bar really high and for me to live up to that, if I don't set it that high, then who knows, maybe I jump and I don't jump as high as I could have. And so I I think in different stages of life, it's going to call for whether it's your authentic self or your elevated self and using a combination of that I don't think it should be 100% one way and nothing in the other mm-hmm. way. And so I know that's a, it's not a definitive answer, yeah. but for me, that's kind of, I feel like as I've looked back on experiences, 
I've seen a little bit of both authentic and elevated. Yeah. And I think that's what makes me who I am today. As I, as, as I've unpacked this, the reason I'm trying to really dwell on it is because my first answer is, well, we're always ourselves. Even if we're pursuing something that is not us, but it's elevated, like that inherently is myself. I am someone that pursues things that maybe are uncomfortable. That's still being true to me. But then I had to realize that I think sometimes pursuit of self or being truly authentic is a luxury. Um, in the case of someone maybe working three jobs, maybe those jobs aren't jobs that they want. Maybe they're unhappy, but they have to do them. Um, I'm, I, there's a couple people I want to explore that a bit with, but what's your first reaction to is pursuit of self and authentic, authenticity, could it be a privilege to be able to be true to you? What do you think? I'm going to say absolutely. And in the, and the reason I say that is, I mean, we, we could take this conversation. I, the, the beauty of this conversation, I think is we could probably spend three hours talking about the depths of what that question really means and what potential answers are. But when I think of the true authentic, the authenticity of being true to yourself, um, I, I think it's enabling when you are authentic and then what you're able to accomplish, take the, you know, the, the individual working three jobs as they do that and they're true to themselves, at the end of the day, when they're able to complete those three tasks, we'll call them, as mm -hmm. those three jobs, yeah. they can look back and say, I've been so authentic, and look who I am. And it almost, it builds, to me, if in that circumstance, it would build a, a certain self-esteem where they look internally at themselves and they're more comfortable with who they really are mm -hmm. because through the whole process, they've been authentic. Yeah, um, And so... I don't know if that answers the question, but that's that's where my viewpoint is. So now let's talk about who is Mitchell. Like, what is yeah. yourself today? And we'll have some some aspects of who you are, but to preempt those, how would you describe who are you today? What are your aspirations? What makes you excited? Like, how would you describe your truest self right now? Yeah, so number one, well, number one, and, and I'll take this, you know, threefold, um, as a father, I do have mm. a, a beautiful, almost two-year-old. Um, love being a dad. Shout out, Myra. Shout out, Myra. Myra <laughs> Jane. Um, love being a father. And when I look at, you know, if I want, if I say I, you know, I pass in this life and how do I want people to remember me, the first thing that comes to my mind is I want to be looked at as a loving and um, just an all-in, hands-on dad. Mm -hmm. um, number two is the same way for a husband. Mm -hmm. Shout out to my wife, Shayna. Um, <laughs> she makes me the best version of myself, I believe. And, and if I can be that loving husband, a loving father, and then a loving son and a loving brother. Um, those things, family is, when you look at, you know, and that's another part of this, and the reason for that answer is who makes, you know, who am I today? I'm I'm so much a mold of who I am based on family. Mm. Um, they're the core of everything I do, what motivates me, um, why I go to work every day, why I've strived so hard to reach certain accomplishments and, and things that, that I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about today, but everything revolves around family. Um, second thing, obviously, my relationship with my Father in Heaven. Mm -hmm. um, that drives really, you know, 
my day-to-day actions, right? Being obedient, being um, just a good citizen, Christ-like. Um, those are things that, that drive me. Um, and then ultimately, you know, the people that surround me, I want to be a good influence. I want to be a good friend. I want to be someone who's trustworthy and that people can look to and help of need or in, in search for a need and know that I would be someone who could deliver. Um, and so a couple different answers there, but in essence, um, family, God, and a good citizen, good friend. And you mentioned, I think in, I'm probably going to get butcher this term, I think in psychology or maybe sociology, they call it code switching. And that's the ability to, um, I can have a conversation with you, which is two grown men. And then as my son walks in, I can, I can step down to his level and have a conversation that's appropriate for that um, capacity, right? Yeah. So code switching is the ability to talk through different um, social circles. And so when you talk about pursuit of self, that it can change. I think you absolutely illustrated that. Like who you're pursuing in your role as a father may be different from who you're pursuing in your role as a son. Like those can be very different. Um, So I appreciate that answer. Have you, um, I know your family so intimately, so well. Um, Shout out all the Jergens. (laughs) Shout out. Love love the Jergens, right? Um, Have you, were there ever moments where your identity... Or when did your identity start to feel like you could have an identity outside of a family role? For example, you were never a husband when you were a young Jurgens boy, right? When did you start to realize that, yes, you have this home base and they're part of who you are, but you also, let's talk collegiately, you started now then merging your loyalty to, now you're part of a team. You have a family team and now you have this other team. What was your experience kind of separating these identities of who you are? And especially as a twin, maybe we can tie that in now. Like what is that identity like being part of a twin? Yeah. So I guess to, to preface the first, um, how I want to attack this, let's start with the twin aspect mm-hmm. because before, and, and I love the question that you ask, right? I wasn't a husband until I was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so before then, my identity, and it's actually a pretty, uh, pretty funny story. My whole life, if I were to, um, you know, talk, if someone asks me how I'm doing, or um, it, my response was always, "We're good. Wow, we're really? doing well." For how long? Forever. <laughs> and so it was. It was really interesting because my brother and I, my twin brother Garrett. Um, we spent every single minute of every single day together. Yeah. Um, and we were we were best friends. We did everything together, and and we loved it. Mm-hmm. We were we, we loved being together. It was if I wasn't with Garrett, it was it was really weird. And there was honestly, we look, I look back on our life, and there weren't many circumstances where we were apart. We had the same friends. Mm-hmm. We did the same things. We played the same sports. We did the same extracurricular activities. I mean, we were always together. Um, and so it was actually so funny story when we, um, served missions for our church, went out on our two year missions. Um, we went to different places and we would, we actually wrote letters together explaining this process. We were so stuck in the habit of speaking in the plural form. We with every response that we ever gave. <laughs> and so when we went on our missions, people would ask me individually how I was doing or how I felt or how the adjustment was. And I couldn't stop saying, we're good. Mm-hmm. We're happy. We're doing well. And they almost look at me like, who's we? 
and I would have to explain, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I grew up as a twin and we spent every minute of every day together. Mm -hmm. And, and so funny story, but that's when I look at, you know, my growing up years, a huge part of who I was, was who Garrett was and who we were together. Um, it was, I mean, we, we, we'll talk a lot about sports, huge into sports, um, but playing baseball, playing football, for me, when I was, um, if I had a good game, it didn't, it, it didn't measure up unless Garrett had a good game. And we, we almost, we shared each other's emotions. And, and so that, I mean, we, we could talk a little bit more about that, but, um, being a twin is, has, is a huge defining, you know, trait of who I am as a person because early on it was, it really wasn't just me. It yeah. was me and my twin. Do you have any stories where you were maybe a part and, and you hear these and maybe like you felt something and you don't know why you felt something and you later realize like it's because of an experience Garrett was having, you know, in another like zip yeah. code or something? So unfortunately, no. Okay. Um, Can you lie about one for the sake of the show? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so in, in, you talk about it and, and I think the reason why, you know, people always ask, you know, twin telepathy, is it a thing? Yeah, yeah, is it, yeah. Um, and we knew each other so well that if we were obviously in the same room, I could always identify how Garrett was feeling, what, you know, true emotions he was feeling based, you know, angry, happy, sad, um, stressed, uh, you know, excited, whatever it was, we could always tell in the same room. You get to different parts of the country or if we're in different spots, I have no idea, right? Unless I have an interaction. Once I have an interaction, whether it's a text, whether it's a call, immediately in the first you know, 10 seconds, I can identify, or a couple seconds, I can identify really how he's feeling. And so that's just getting to know someone. I think that's where the telepathy could, um, could translate. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. So in terms of being authentically you, how do you start to explore that when you have a twin that is really part of who you are? Is that something that you two would have discussions and say like, Hey, I'm thinking about trying disc golf. Do you want to do that with me? Like, would you support each other in that? Or were there moments where you would try separate things and then realize, dude, this isn't working. Like, let's get back together and do things together again. Yeah. So going back, that, that's a great question. And um, it, what's what's really unique about, and and who knows, I, I know all twins are a little bit different. Um, there's a lot of twins that are going to be the exact same, right? Where you're just joint at the hip. Um and for us, we literally had the same interests. Mm. We had the same desires. We had the same, um, uh, I mean, from TV shows, from whatever we were doing, it was, we almost mutually agreed on everything. Um, and so I'd have to, and maybe we can revisit this here and I'm going to, I'm going to continue to think about it, okay. um, here at the end of the, end of the podcast to really understand in those growing years, when did we disagree? How did we handle that? Mm. Um, and we had disagreements, right? You know, brotherly disagreements. Um, but uh, honestly, we could look back and, and we were just such great friends, um, had an incredible relationship. Um, but uh, yeah, let's let's revisit that because I, I want to give you one. And I know there are some, I just, I need to, I need to think about it. Do you have any moments where you didn't like being a twin? <laughs> so, and, and that's a great question. I, I There definitely were. So there's a there's a lot of positives. I, I look back at it, and and to this day, I would never ever regret being a twin. One, I can't control that, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it is it's seriously been the greatest blessing of my life. Um, 
However, there were moments, and Garrett and I would talk about this. Um, being a twin was great, but at the same time, I'd walk down the hall, and how many times people would say, Jurgens? Yeah. Because they had no idea who <laughs> I was. And we would talk about that, and we'd say, hey, is, does it make you feel weird that if people are with both of us, or even just one of us, that they don't know who they're talking to? And so, do they really know who I am yeah. as a person? Um, and, and it was, it was, we, we had conversations about that and it was a little bit difficult as far as, you know, I want people to know who I am for me. Yes. I love being known as the twin. Um, it did, it was, um, uh, people talked about it, right? Hey, the twins, the twins. And yeah. when we did walk down the hall, people would, you know, make comments and, and it, it was cool to be recognized as a twin. However, taking the individuality aspect we didn't know how much really there was there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was, uh, that was definitely something that, um, we weren't too sure on and didn't love the aspect of being a twin as far as people not knowing who I was individually. Um, but I would definitely take being a twin over those not disadvantages. It feels like a superpower to me, if I'm being honest, like having a twin feels like you're in two places at once. Did y'all ever do any kind of like doppelganger switcheroos? Um, we honestly, growing up, we were pretty shy. Yeah. And so we were always nervous of being caught <laughs> and then getting in trouble. Oh man. And so man. we did not take advantage of it. It's <clears> not too late. Have. I know. Not too late. It isn't. Yeah. Are you still competitive with each other? We are. Yeah. Good. Absolutely. Um, Oh, I had a thought in that vein. Oh, I was going to share a story. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, you and I were in the same church, our same building, same ward um, a couple years ago. And there was a moment where you were out of town, but you were in church, right? So you <laughs> were out of town, but someone that looked like you was there. And I thought, I told Sarah, I think I've told you the story. I know I told Garrett the day of. I told Sarah, I was like, shoot, like, is Mitchell back in town? Because if that's him... I need to go say hi. It'd be weird if I didn't say hi. And I was like, I have no idea how to vet this. I don't know what to do to find out if that's Mitchell or not. And so I had this stroke of genius. And I thought, okay, I'm, I can see the back of this guy's head. I'm going to text Mitchell. And if this guy looks down at his phone, I'll know. And so, <laughs> and so I texted you. And I don't even remember what I said. Hey, bro. Probably something, right? <laughs> I just said something, and this guy never looked down. But then I got a text back from you, and I was like, okay, that's Garrett. Now I know. So I had to, I went up to Garrett and told him that story. But it is interesting because I do feel like I know you, and what's, um, I'm, a, I'm a, a very vivid dreamer. When I dream, it's real. It is so real. So I could have a dream about Obama, and then I'll wake up and feel like me and Obama are best buds. He's never had a moment with me, right? Um, And so I think that's an interesting aspect to it too, where I can be getting to know you and feel like I know you and your phenotype and what you look like, but then see Gary, and I may have this bond with this guy that looks like you, and it's not you. Mm -hmm. And so that is for sure an odd thing for someone outside of your relationship to have to unpack and realize you don't know both of us. You only know one of me. Like, I am me. So what is unique about you? What's different, do you think? You obviously are identical twins. You have a lot of the same interests. What do you think is your value proposition? What's unique about the Mitchell package? Yeah, great, great question. So, um, and the difference, and maybe we'll attack it Mm -hmm. for the difference between me and Garrett. Um, So growing up, and he was, I almost considered him the 
alpha twin. Mm, interesting. So he does he led, consider him similar? And he would as well. Oh, okay. Um, as far as making decisions for the both of us, I always looked up to Garrett as yeah. that Who's decision older? maker. He is. Okay. He's, uh, he's older by two minutes. Okay. And so I don't know if it was the age or <laughs> if it was just he. Um, I felt like growing up, he was a lot more level-headed than I was. Mm-hmm. I'm more of the, um, I was, I didn't take things uh, as seriously. I was a little bit more emotional. And so he was more steady and sure um, and in our personalities. And so um, for, I think we both recognized that. And, and, you know, funny story. So we shared a car when we turned 16. I was perfectly fine driving in the passenger seat. Nice. Garrett drove. I was, I, <laughs> I love that he drove. I knew he'd take care of us. I knew he wouldn't wreck the car and obey the traffic laws. And, um, and I was, I was good at that. Yeah. And so I, I think, you know, it, the difference between us, um, I was, I was a little bit louder. I was a little bit more, um, my, my family would say I was, I had a bit more humor. I was a little bit funnier, a little bit class, more relaxed. Would you be more the class right? clown if you had to like lump that More that of the class title. clown. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, but, and, and what's, what's crazy about this too is I, I'm saying these differences, which could, if you look at just the differences, oh wow, these two are so different, mm-hmm. but the differences are so minute yeah. that people who are getting to know us, they think we're the exact same. Sure. We're the exact same level of funny or steady or, um, but to us, there were bigger differences. Yeah. And in our family, they would say, you know, those were a little bit more drastic to our family than they were to the public. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so how did that translate on the field? I mean, did you have, obviously as part of a team, um, there's a lot of cohesion in that team, but when you have a set of, uh, I mean, twins obviously, but even brothers, when you have a set of brothers on a team, there's a certain level of cohesion there. Did that translate onto the field as well? It did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, as far as players, we, I consider us very, um, very equally gifted, talented. Mm-hmm. Um, one wasn't better than the other at baseball and football. Those were our two main yeah. sports, football and baseball. Um, and it, it was just so cool to be really at the same level um, athletically that that made it, I feel like, an easy transition. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know witnessed other twins where maybe one's a little bit more athletic than the other one. Um, for us, we were literally the exact same. Um, and so... That was, uh, I felt like that was fun. On the field, I knew there wasn't one thing that I did better that, you know, that maybe Garrett didn't do as well. It was, you could put us in the same spot and then get this exact same yeah. result. <laughs> That's so, so awesome. Um, and, that, and that works was, out really well when injuries come into play. It does, yeah. Um, and so being playing on a team together, this was, I mean, I'm honestly one of the coolest blessings. It was our goal always as high school athletes to play collegiately together. Mm-hmm. Um, when we made the decision to play collegiately, we actually had, um, an opportunity to go play football at the university of Utah, um, before going to BYU. And, um, but it was always, we were considered a package deal mm-hmm. where one went, the other went. Um, and so that was something we just cherished playing on a team together um, that was so unique, you know, being able to support each other. If I was, you know, going in for a big play, having Garrett, you know, right there behind my ear saying, hey, you got this. Mm-hmm. It was. Did that happen? Oh, Would you absolutely. like. This happened all so the time. Cool. 
um, knowing when his number was called, you know, I could be there for him. Um, and that kind of just encouragement was all we needed to perform at the high school level, the collegiate level, um, which I think was a huge story of where we got to where, um, we, you know, the, the accomplishment that we made to be, to play at the collegiate level was hugely inspired by being a twin, having him there for support. Yeah. So walk me through, we'll kind of pull away from the twin narrative a little bit. Um, Walk me through what gaining confidence in yourself was like in terms of you're both a grown adult men now, right? You're, you're in my living room right now without him. You're married to different people. Like what was the very early stages of kind of pulling away, weaning maybe, um, from like your partner, I mean, your life buddy, your superpower partner, like what was that process like? Yeah. So we were almost forced into that process when we went on our missions. That's great. Point. Two years yeah. apart and no contact mm-hmm. unless it was an email, yeah. an email once a week. And, and so we didn't have the interaction. Um, and we were almost forced into that, um, that situation where I did have to find out who I was how I'd function without a twin. And from then on, from our missions to returning home, we were, we were, hey, I could have a different schedule. I could, we didn't. In college, we had the same (laughs) schedule. We did choose that. What did you both study? Um, So we both studied finance um, at the Marriott School of Business. Every, literally every single college class we had, we took (laughs) together. Um, and that was by That's choice. That's amazing. Right? That was by choice. We love to be in friends. We I love it. I'm one together. of the people that yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've heard this a million times. Yeah. Oh, I wish I was a twin. Yeah. Like I'm one of those people <laughs> that just thinks it would have been a hoot, yeah. a hoot. Um, but anyway, but even then, you know, yes, we had every class together, but we had, we, we really, we were able to function as me individually, Garrett individually. <clears throat> and at that moment we came back and we did, we started, you know, got home from our mission, started dating. He got married a year and a half before I did. Mm-hmm. And having that separation before then, he got married and I was perfectly fine with it because yeah. he was him. And then he met his wife, McKenna, they got married and um, and it was just great to support them. And now they're, they're going to be the new Garrett and Mitchell mm-hmm. because now they're the couple, right? Yeah. And, um, and so it was, um, that's kind of where that transition was made. Yeah. I feel like it, I'm, I'm translating that to the rest of us who may not have a twin. And, and I think we all have that moment where we've got to say, there are a lot of reasons I can feel vulnerable. There are a lot of reasons I can feel weak right now. There are a lot of reasons I feel held back. But ultimately, it's a step into the unknown of, I need to move forward. I need to try this without my twin. I need to try this without, um, I don't know. We have a lot of reasons that things might hold us back, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take your twin scenario and think, well, where does that apply, you know, to me? And I think it is very much the sense of anything can be a clutch or we can use it as an opportunity to just step into the unknown and be big and brave and try something. And, um, I don't think it was that hard. I'm really dramatizing it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and to, to add on to that point, you know, everyone I think has that, um, has that experience. It's just a matter of when for Garrett mm-hmm. and I, it happened at 19 years old. Yeah. For other people, it may happen at eight years old, right? Yep. Um, and so we always, we had the crutch for 19 years of having someone by our side to help make decisions, help, um, you know, support each other in, in tough times where other people may not have that for yeah. that long. Yeah. 
Um, and so ours came at 19 years when we did split. Um, so it could be a timing thing. Totally. So um, I, I wanted to stick on the, the twin piece a bit because I know that's a big part of an identity. And as we go through life, we identified a lot of, identifies a lot of things. Father, husband, son, brother, twin, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, so going back to now uh, on the field. I'd love to hear a fun on the field story. Doesn't have to be twin related, but just your time as a collegiate athlete. What's a fun experience you had on a field? Yeah. Um, so let me tell actually my walk on story. Yeah, please. So I walked on to the BYU football team, both my brother and I. Um, we walked on to the football team, and it was an incredible experience, um, learning experience. If not many people are familiar with the walk on experience, when you walk on, you're you're part of the team, but you're really not. I mean, you are because you wear, you know, you go to practice, you show up, but um, I wasn't. So the first two years that I was spent on the BYU football team, I never dressed out at a game. I never um, really had any interaction with the players that played. Um, I was part of what's called the scout team. And the scout team, what we would do is in preparation for a game week, um, Let's say we're playing Utah, and as an offensive player, we would imitate the Utah offense and help the BYU defense prep for mm. Utah. And so we had a you know a scout team coach who would drop the play Utah's plays, and then we would run those as Utah, but and considered the scout team. Okay. However, this you know being a member of the scout team, especially early on. Um, no coaches really care who you are. Um, you're just there to be a dummy, be a X on a sheet of paper, yeah. right? Run your route and, and do your job and because you're not really contributing on game day to um, the actual results of the game. Obviously, you know, as a member of the scout team, everyone's valuable because you're helping prepare mm-hmm. the team to get there. Um, but being a scout member, a scout team member, um, there were so many times when I think I was you know, maybe I did something wrong or I was maybe not in the perfect spot and I would be yelled at and they wouldn't know who I was. It was just, Hey, you know, call me by number 87. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it just felt like, you know, what am I doing here? Like, I'm, I feel like I'm being overlooked. Is anyone noticing what the heck I'm doing? You know, what is this goal? I wanted to play BYU football. This really isn't how I envisioned being a BYU football player. I envision going to Lavelle Edwards Stadium, strapping on, you know, a game day jersey and mm-hmm. contributing on the field. And this experience wasn't that. Um, and and so that whole thing, I mean, they, at times, you know, I remember being a, an offensive player where we were running these bubble screens and these bubble screens, they toss us the ball and the defensive players come like a missile at us and just the defensive coach was like, I want you to hit these players as hard as you can. And we're sitting there, you know, they, you know, there's probably eight of us standing in line, you know, ready to be these actual football dummies. And then they look at us and say, all right, who's up? You know, who wants to go? And we all kind of look at each other like, I don't really want to go. Yeah. (laughs) But you go. And, and so, um, it was just, it was, it was so cool because you had to have your sights set at, you know what, I'm going to put in my dues, but hopefully when I when there is an opportunity, whether it's injury-related, whether seniors move on, that there's going to be an open spot where I can hopefully make an impression okay. and get to that point where I'm noticed. I can be, uh, I can have, you know, a shot at playing on Saturdays. Um, 
And, and so that's really, during those trying times, that's what I set my sights at um, to, in hopes to you know, make an impression and land a role like that. What is the, the percentage of someone that does end up landing that role? I mean, you're one of many people that probably have yeah. that same hope. Do you all get that hope realized? Not everyone. I, I'd be curious. The percentage, I think, would be pretty low. Yeah. Um, eh. And you knew that at the time. Did oh, you yeah. know the chances were low? Oh, yeah. Um, knew the chances were low, but, you know, like you mentioned, you, uh, you mentioned you're a, a dreamer. Yeah. You dream big or you dream real. Yeah, yeah. For me, I dreamt really big, right? I knew I could do it. I knew that if I got a shot, um, that I could capitalize on it. Um, and so that's what gave me the hope to keep trying. Um, but yes, I, I didn't know that that was what I was up against. Yeah. That's tough, man. So you're, I'm trying to think, I want to unpack if there's a recipe there because that's, um, it sucks, man, to be in that position where it's like, I'm going to give this everything I have and it may not even work. What, yeah. Where did the hope come from? How did you find that? Is that something you, you had in you for a long time? Have you always been a pretty hopeful guy? And I know we talked about faith. I'm sure yep. maybe faith played a role in that. Yeah. Um, my whole life I've been pretty optimistic. Yeah. Um, and I think my family would say that as well as, you know, an optimistic personality uh, is, is something that I have. And, um, and, and when I go back, you know, I ask myself the same question, like, why did I give it so much? And even, so we go back to, I walked on mm-hmm. my freshman year, pre-mission. Um, I went on a mission and then came back and my spot wasn't guaranteed again. I had to do the same process Jeez. to walk on when I came back. And it was, it was, am, is this really going to pay off? Do I want, because mm-hmm. it was, I mean, the other thing is, if I wasn't playing football, I could have been, I could have had a job. I could have, um, you know, made more money. I could have focused a little bit more time on school. Mm-hmm. It took up a lot of time and effort, but since I was a little kid, I mean, sports was everything. Yeah. And I wanted to play at LaBelle Edwards Stadium. Um, and I knew I could if I was just given the opportunity. And, and so it was, for me, it was, when am I going to get that opportunity? I, I was hopeful and faithful that yeah. it would come. And when it did, luckily I was in a position to capitalize and, and saw those dreams realized. Yeah. Um, what is, talk about, I think that the gospel program being a part of BYU and collegiate mm-hmm. football is really unique. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not my network. I don't know many other colleges that do have a strong gospel program as part of it. So I think that is a unique offering of BYU. Speak to that a little bit. What was that like having such a centric gospel push in a locker room, right? Like, what is that like? No, it was so neat. And, and I go back to who I am as a person, family, faith, and, um, you know, talk about sports too. It was such a a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. And so being able to combine those and see those, um, mixed together was really cool. Um, what, you know, and I've never been part of another, a different program, so I, I can't speak too much to what it's like at different universities, mm-hmm. um, maybe a non-faith-based university. Um, but at BYU, I mean, it was so cool that every single time we met as a team before practice, we started with an opening prayer, um, which I don't think many universities do that. I thought um, about if we should do one before our podcast, yeah, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and and it was so cool. It was We started with a prayer, and um, whether there were people of, you know, the... Um, 
members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is you know the, the foundation for yeah. BYU. Yeah. Um, whether they were members of that church or not, we still all unified in prayer to start. Um, messages from our head coaches always had gospel ties. Um, but and, and so I loved the fact that those got to mix together. Um, but I, I'm also a, a huge believer in being able to reach your potential, especially as a football player or an athlete. There are things that, you know, following gospel guidelines, you know, we talk about BYU, how they have a strict, um, you know, no alcohol, mm-hmm. um, no drugs, um, no sex, no things like that that could distract you or lower that potential just from a, a distraction level or um, not treating your body as, uh, or putting stuff, substances in your body that's not going to allow you to reach your potential. Um, I think they correlate from an athletic standpoint where if you're treating your body as best as you can, putting amazing substances in it, what it needs, then you can reach that next tier of potential. Um, and doing your best to eliminate distractions, all of that can help you as a football player, which is what BYU preached. Mm-hmm. And because I was so aligned with how they viewed that and what they taught, um, it just it just made sense. And I loved it because it all came together. I've had moments where I experience, I'm reading a a new book, for example, or I have a new boss and he says something and you hear an an idea and the idea really resonates with you where it's like, oh, I'm going to take that on as part of my persona. I believe that. That's all me. Did you have moments like that through your football career where you either learned a practice or a training regimen or a pep talk that shaped, ultimately shaped like your core self? And if so, what would be some of the things that through your collegiate career really ingrained in you and are still part of you today? Yeah, um, I think one of the biggest things and was if I'm, when you look at football, practice, games, everything is on film. Everything is recorded. And so for me, especially early on, in high school, practices weren't recorded. Games were recorded, but you never really watched every single play of every game. And so if I took off a play, it really wouldn't be noticed. Mm -hmm. But at BYU, at the college level, when everything, every play, every practice, every rep is recorded, and I started to realize that as, you know, early on in my career when I'm seeing, oh, wow, like I'm watching myself out there and I'm going half speed. I'm not going as hard as I can. Um, The fact that I knew I was being recorded and videoed made me realize I have to give it my all every single play. And Bronco Mendenhall was the head coach when I got there first, and he was a huge preacher of effort. Mm -hmm. If you give effort, we're going to see results. And, And so for me, that was, I think, the thing that I took that defined my career as a player is I, as long as I gave effort, whether I missed an assignment, whether I dropped a ball, whether I missed a block, as long as I was giving it my all, then I was doing my best to put myself in a position to succeed. And that's really all that we're asked to do. Mm -hmm. Um, No one can expect you to, you don't go to BYU saying, if you drop one ball out of a hundred, then you're getting kicked off the team, right? But if you try hard, then you've got a spot on this team. And so that was my motto was give it your effort. I knew I was being recorded. So even if I did take it off, it was going to be noticed and I would regret it. And so that motivation from an accountability standpoint um, helped me get to the, I'm going to give it my all every single play. 
And you were, I mean, being outside of BYU, I would hear your name. I would hear, like, the Jurgens twins. You guys were celebrities here, I mean, in some sense. Uh, so one of these questions is interesting. I like this one. How do you feel when you are recognized? What does that feel like out in a crowd and someone knows who you are? You don't have a clue who they are. Yeah. Um, it's, it's neat. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It, it is. I Good think, word, neat. You know, I work, um, right now I work for a recognition company and uh, we do rewards and recognition. And no matter what form of recognition, when someone's recognized, it feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like I'm being valued. And, and so it, it was, especially when I was playing. I mean, I was, I was recognized a lot more five years ago than I am now. Does it still happen? Um, it still happens. It does. Um, a lot of times when it happens more often now is people will recognize me but not know who I am. Mm-hmm. So just this week, I've actually had two experiences. My, my mom's in town, and, and we were out uh, at shout out Shout out Gretchen. Yep, shout out Gretchen. Um, my mom's in town and, and someone, we were eating dinner and as we're walking out of the door, someone stops me and says, you look so familiar and asked me if I was from <laughs> Idaho. I said, I'm not from Idaho and I, you know, I've never really been out there. Um, and he's like, I, I don't know why. I just, your, your face looks so familiar. I don't know who, but I, and, and he just couldn't put it together and, and really thought I was from Idaho, assuming that's that they grew, that I grew up together with yeah. him and. And that's how he knew me. Where in the back of my mind, I'm I'm thinking, you know what? I, you probably know me from BYU football. Um, I never bring it up. I never say you oh, won't. This is, and I, I don't. I, I know mean, where it you makes know me. me. Feel it's weird, <laughs> um, to say actually, you know me from you watched me on TV. I, mean, I, I played BYU football. <laughs> I've got a sharpie. If you've got a hat, <laughs> I can't. I can't say that. Yeah. Um, and so that happens a lot more now. Um, and it, when it does happen, happens. Um, it. it it makes me laugh, and I enjoy it, but, yeah. How does it feel to not be recognized when you feel like you should be? <laughs> you know, I indifferent. I don't, <laughs> is, that a, is that an okay answer? That's fair. I'm going to guess it's because you you like it. You probably appreciate the recognition, yeah. and it's bittersweet that But you're... I don't expect it. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you were, you were, you were good. You played well. Um how do you handle the pressure of when you, something that I'm seeing is that when you're good at something, people want you to continue to do that thing. They expect it of you. Um, in some cases that can mean you're limited in your opportunities. An opportunity may not arise because someone wants you to, to really own this seat that you're in because you do it so well. How did you, is that true for you? Did you experience that firstly? And if so, how did you handle that pressure of this is the seat I sit in? I'm going to do it well every time. Yeah. Um, Dealing with pressure was—it's always nerve-wracking, right? And that's the game of football in general. Um, you're going to be in very high-pressure situations, third downs, fourth downs, games on the line. If I don't catch this ball, our team could lose. And with sixty thousand fans in a stadium, millions of people watching, there's a lot of pressure. And when you start to think about that, um, it—it it can get inside your mind. Um, one, you know living up to that pressure. Um, and so w- what I would try and do, at least from you know a pressure standpoint, is just not think, right? Mm-hmm. Just go out the more, and that's where you know, I, I'm a big believer of practice or preparation is everything that you need. 
um, to be able to perform. You're going to fall. What's the quote? You will fall to the level of your preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as long as I'm prepared, if I can make it a habit that it becomes second nature to catch those, those balls yeah. and, you know, I'll be just fine in those moments cause I'm not thinking about it and I can just react. Um, sorry, I'm talking about pressure. What was your question? It was, was yeah. How do you handle the pressure okay. of knowing that, um, expectations are on you and that you might need to stay in that seat? Yeah. Um, particularly as it relates to what if you wanted other opportunities? What if you wanted to try and venture out and try, I don't know if it's a new position. I don't, I don't yeah. know if you would, if that quite fits, um, your role on the team to try out a new position, but how would you manage it in terms of, I can't do something else. I have to do this. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, great question. That's, that's right. That's what you ask. Um, so to, to answer the first part, being at that collegiate level, there's, when you look at a football team, there's 123 people on a football team. Um, to have one spot for me, it was, I'll take one. I don't need three mm. opportunities. Give me one. I'm going to perfect that. And then, and, and that's the other thing is if I, if I don't perform in those pressure moments and then I lose that one, you know, that may be my only opportunity. Um, with that said, I mean, there's, when you look at a football team, there's offense, there's defense, there's special teams, which offensive players and defensive players contribute to the special teams. Um, in addition to playing receiver, I was the, um, the holder for field goals, no which way, cool. is actually a very high pressured situation because <laughs> if you mess up, no one notices when you do good. Yeah. Right. You do your job. They kick the field goal. You're not praised for doing a great job. Only if you mess up, mm-hmm. you fumble the snap, the field goal doesn't get off and that's your one job. And so literally that was probably the position. I mean, that whole field goal unit is what you call it from the, the snapper to the holder to the kicker, we had one job, right? Yeah. And um, and so that was a position where it was very high pressured, um, but I loved it. I loved being the holder. I loved holding that pressure. Yeah. Um, I almost felt like it made me perform better mm. because I knew that if I messed this up, it was, I mean, that was the end of it, right? Yeah. There was no, um, hey, I kind of messed up. It was either you did it or you didn't. And I, I loved that situation. I kind of, I, um, I liked being in those pressure situations. And so, um, so that was another thing other than receiver that I was able to do. That was, uh, that was fun. Have you read the book Relentless? I, I believe not. the author is Tim Grover. Um, I might be butchering on that. I'm gonna look it up real quick. I highly recommend this book. Uh, yeah, yeah, Tim Grover. So he trained Michael Jordan. He trained Kobe. Okay. He was a trainer for these elites. And so Relentless is a book where he combs into and, and exposes sort of what are these people like? What are these elites like? And one thing he talks about is they don't think. It's all instinctual. Thinking is out. Thinking takes a second. Sometimes you don't have a second to decide. You need to just act. So that's right in the vein with what you're saying in terms of how you prepare for pressure is through practice so that in that moment... You don't have to think. You just act. So awesome book. 
Um, okay, we'll move away from, we'll start to kind of wind this down now. I want to move away from the twin narrative, move away from the collegiate. Um, I identified those as being just key markers in um, a big part of your persona and who you are. I know there's a lot more to you than that, and I'm fortunate that I get to know you in that regard, and a, a lot of people listening um, won't see that, unfortunately, and I, I feel so lucky to get to know other sides of you. Um, I want to talk about, I would love to hear um, three moments in your life that you feel have drastically shaped who you are today. I, I probably have some in mind that you might say, but I'd love to hear your answers on what are three things that you could identify who've contributed to your outlook, your positivity, the opportunities before you. Um, yeah, what do you think? Great question. Um, so number one thing that comes to my mind, and, and these may be out of order. That's, that's fine, okay. yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not prioritized by importance. Yep. So the number one thing is, uh, I would say, um, my mission. So two years as a representative of Jesus Christ, um, that was hands down the moment that really shaped who I was. It was also the moment that, you know, I, I, I took a leap of faith to go away from my family. Um, and you know, be there, on my own for two years, which took a lot of courage. It took a lot of, um, you know, I, I, I knew that this was something I want to do for a long time, but even when you get there, it's like, I've prepped myself for this moment, but this is, this is a big step. Mm -hmm. And so being able to do that and knowing that, Hey, I just, I just did that. I just completed this two year mission, which was, which took so much. Like I trusted myself and I was able to do that, which um, that act of itself was really enabling mm -hmm. and led me to believe that, Hey, I can, I can do anything. Right. Um, but then, I mean, the big thing from that was just establishing my relationship with my father in heaven, my love for my savior, Jesus Christ, um, being able to, I, I've served in Mexico city and being able to uh, fall in love with the culture and, and see people outside of America in a different lifestyle and um, just falling in love with those people um, and seeing them for who they are as as children of God. And um, that was something that, you know, I continuously, a lot of the decisions that I still make today are were things that I learned in the mission. They were things that, um, you know, my testimony as far as my faith in Jesus Christ and being a solidified part of who I am um, has shaped so much of everything I've done in my life today. And, and so that is hands down the number one thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Give me two more. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> um, so number two, um, I'm going to give, and these are, these are statement milestones in my life. Um, and, and I guess I'll give more, um, insight into why these, you know, a lot of people would say this, but marrying my wife. Yeah. Okay. Big part of who I am. Um, love my wife so dearly. Um, she is, comes from an incredible family. She was one that I actually, um, I sought after. I, um, I, from a mutual friend, actually her older brother played football with me at BYU um, got to know her family before I got to know her. And I knew that if I could associate myself with a family 
of that caliber, mm-hmm. that's who that's who I want to I want to yeah. be with. And then, fortunately, she was you know the the icing on the cake of as far as you know obvi- obviously yes I I admired who her family was, but ultimately came down to Shana and fell in love with her. It was you know for me a match made in heaven, um, and everything as far as what we've you know who we've become together um i i talked about being a twin for so long and and having that relationship with garrett right now you know my relationship with my wife is that type of relationship where every decision we make is together um every you know i lean on her look up to her for everything that we do and um and so uh, i'm just incredibly grateful and blessed to have found a girl like her who helps me become the person that I want to become in a father, a husband. Um, and, and so that would definitely be number two. Um, in no particular order. Of course. Of course. That's just the second one we're talking about. Second list. Yeah. Um, the third thing I, I, I don't want to say the, the expected answer of when my daughter was born, <laughs> because I would definitely say that as my third. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if we need to have four, we can have four. But you're you're and, welcome to say your daughter. So we'll say that, right? Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna think of another one um, because I don't want to just give you those answers. <laughs> um, and but just, uh, being coming a father is, and you know this, yeah. it's the most incredible feeling um, of just the responsibility the the love that your heart just continues to grow and Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, love being a dad coming home from work having my daughter's at the age right now where she the best age man she's at the best age it's she notices yeah and she runs to me and she says dad dad yeah and she gives me a big hug and kiss and wraps her arms around my neck when I come home and walk through the door and that moment right there I, I would wouldn't trade for anything, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that's uh, obviously a huge moment. Um, but when I, you know, to to give you another one, just as far as um, you know, defining moments in my life, um, I'm I want to say. Hmm. Can I prompt? Can I give you, you a can. prompt? You can. Um, I wrote this down, and I wasn't sure if we'd get to it because it could be a, a big topic, okay. but I'd love to maybe prompt this. Um, can you speak to a hardship? I, I think that hardships can be incredibly defining, and um, those can also be incredibly intimate, so um, navigate that how you feel best. But I'd love to hear a hardship that has contributed to who you are. Absolutely. When I look at... Uh, I'm going to go back to a moment in my football career. Mm -hmm. So, um, and this is, I've shared this story a couple times and, um, and it was a, it was a moment that when, when put on a, almost a a huge platform where expectations are high, pressure's high, um, it's very defining. Um, it, it can break you, it can mold you, it can inspire you. Um, so, I want to go back to a game. So I've had this dream of my entire life to play collegiate football, um, especially at Lavelle Edwards Stadium wearing a BYU jersey. My first home game, we're playing the University of Houston, Ooh. which is my hometown. Yeah. 
highly anticipated. I was going up against one of the players I played with in high school. Was um, He was on that team, and I wanted to perform really well for this game in particular, right? Um, first time BYU Nation had ever seen me at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and so there was a lot riding on this game. Um, we're approaching halftime, and quarterback at the time was Taysom Hill. We, I mean, there's clocks winding down. We're about 30 seconds. We have to go probably about 60 yards to get into the end zone. Taysom throws me the ball, a wheel route on the sideline about 30 yards down the field. I catch the ball, and in this moment, instead of jumping out of bounds to stop the clock, wasn't thinking, I was caught up in the moment, and I stayed in bounds, took a juke inside, and right when I did that, an opposing player on the University of Houston, he hit me, I fumbled the ball, they picked it up, ran it back to about the 50-yard line, there's six seconds left on the clock, they have a chance for one more play, they get the ball, they throw a Hail Mary, and score a touchdown. So in this moment, I was, in, in a matter of seconds, it was almost reflecting internally saying, what in the world just happened? What did I just do? And I felt awful, okay? The whole rest of the game, I was just, I was literally praying that we would win the game so I wouldn't be the person they would blame for a huge loss. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was, at the time, that was a 14-point swing um, that led in Houston's favor, and it was, I mean, it was a terrible situation. Um, long story short, we end up barely hanging on to win the game, and I was so grateful, so appreciative. However, right after the game, I did what every athlete or person in a public eye should never do, and that's go on social media and start reading what people are saying about the game, about my play, about the event. And in that moment, I started reading, and I it was almost like a drug. I couldn't stop reading. And I read comment after comment saying things like, Mitchell Jurgens should not be on the field. That was the worst play ever. He shouldn't wear a BYU uniform. The guy's the worst player on the team. All this stuff... He nearly blew the game. Get him off the field. I mean, comment after comment. And this is hundreds and thousands of comments. And in that moment, I mean, you think of, I go back to when I was a little kid. I had this dream to, I've always said I want to play there, but had no vision that I would be, that I would perform so poorly that people would say these types of things. And at that point, I thought, why did I ever want to do this? Like, I wish I would have never gotten on that stage because then no one looks at me in this such this negative light, mm-hmm. right? And I was rocked. I felt like I couldn't go in public. Um, this was a Saturday game, church, going to church the next day. I was like, I can't show my face because people are going to look at me and yeah. judge me and I'm going to receive comments. And it was, it was terrible. Um, however, in that moment, I fortunately had my father there and my dad could, you know, he felt every emotion. I expressed the way that I'm feeling, you know, I'm in tears. I'm, I'm just the lowest of lows I'd ever been in my entire life. Um, and fortunately I had my dad there and, um, in in our church, we, we believe in, uh, you know, 
being able to give priesthood blessings. From a priesthood holder, he gives a blessing, and it can be a blessing of comfort. It can be a blessing of, um, you know, strength. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I needed comfort. I needed strength. And there was one thing that my, my remember vividly what my father said in that moment was as part of the blessing, he, he blessed me with the ability to see myself in God's eyes mm-hmm. and value who I was as a person, um, the way that my heavenly father saw me and that it didn't matter who else, what other people were saying but that my worth and who I was as a person was defined by my obedience to the gospel, my obedience to the commandments, and that's all that mattered in that moment. And I remember feelings after I received that blessing, just extreme relief knowing, you know what, these people that are saying these things, to me, that doesn't matter, right? The only thing that matters is my relationship with my Father in Heaven, which was another thing that I had learned previously on my mission. And it all came tying back together. And that was a moment where from then on too, I had all the confidence in the world to say, you know what, I made a mistake, but I can correct that. I am, I can, I can go out there and perform better. And the very next game, I scored my first BYU touchdown um, coaches still trusted me to be on the field. It was against Virginia. It was a late third quarter touchdown, which helped us get to a victory. And from then on, it was I had this new sense of confidence and self-worth knowing that, you know what? I can do these things. My Father in Heaven loves me. He's proud of me for just who I am as a person. He believes in my abilities. And I can go out there and do what I did. And, you know, I may, I may make a mistake here and there, but that's not going to define who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's what, in essence, led me to, I mean, that was my first year playing out of three years starting for BYU. And if it wasn't for that moment, who knows what my career could have been like. Um, And so that was uh, a huge trial at the moment. I mean, literally the lowest of lows I had ever felt turned into really what defined me and helped me get to where I am today. And that comes full circle in terms of pursuit of self in that moment, yeah. you had such a strong conviction of who you were uh, in a divine capacity, but also a physical capacity with your like physical father right there by your side. Um, that, to me, I think is the grand message of pursuit of self, is that when we have such confidence like you just displayed in ourself, man, we can accomplish the world. There's so much that we can do. Um, I've, I've been writing down little notes um, that I would consider a formula in terms of what have you shown and where have you found success? A couple of them, set goals, uh, aspire to achieve, practice, don't think, practice so much so that when, you know, in a moment's notice, you don't have to think, gratitude for what you, uh, what seat you sit in, be grateful for where you are, divine faith, optimism, um, drown the noise, don't let, don't let what people are saying distract you. So this has been incredibly helpful for me as I define what is, not only for me, a pursuit of self, but how can we uplift and encourage um, individuality and success in others? So my last question would be, as we kind of wind this down, um, if, if you want people to know where, you, where to find you, whether you have Instagram handles or Twitter, like uh, don't be shy about that. Let us know where that is. And also, um, in, give me your best halftime pep talk <laughs> in terms of we are halfway through 2020. 
it's been a heck of a year, <laughs> but the game's not over. <laughs> what would be the Mitchell special in terms of um, encouraging people? Like, we've got to be able to get through the second half of this this year. And then, obviously, where people can find you and keep up with what you're up to. Um, so where can people can find me, we'll start yep. with that, yep. right? We'll end with the pep talk. Okay. If that works. That works great. I don't know how that's going to turn out, but <laughs> we'll, we'll give it a shot. Um, so, yep, Instagram, Twitter. Um, Instagram handle is Mitchell underscore Jurgens, I believe. Okay. I may have to confirm that. You keep talking and I'll um, fact check. Twitter is Mitchell underscore jerks jerks abbreviated at byu i was i never had the nickname jerks in high school <laughs> but for some reason when my brother and i got to byu it wasn't jergens it was jerks so that was the nickname in, okay. in college um so i want to say that's mitchell yep, yeah that's mitchell it. underscore jerks on twitter on instagram it's mitchell underscore jergens and I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we can find you. Okay. How do we close out 2020, Mitchell? So close out 2020. We are already in August. Mm-hmm. It has been a 2020 like no other, right? Um, as, as I look at this, and this is um, one of the things I'm actually going to, um, I'm going to pull up something that I recently read and I want to. I want to read this. A former coach that I actually had in high school um, had sent me this, and and I am, this isn't going to be as authentic to me because I might steal a few words here, Um, but I think it's very applicable, and I think um, something that a lot of us can can benefit from. says, sometimes I just want it to stop. Talk of COVID, COVID, looting, brutality. I lose my way. I become convinced that this new normal is real life. Then I meet an 87-year-old who talks of living through polio, um, Vietnam protests, and yet is still enchanted with life. He seemed surprised when I said that 2020 must be especially challenging for him. No, he said slowly, looking me straight in the eyes. I learned a long time ago to not see the world through printed headlines. I see the world through the people that surround me. I see the world with the realization that we love big. Therefore, I just choose to write my own headlines. Quote, headline, husband loves wife today. Or family drops everything to come to grandma's bedside. He patted my hand. Old man makes new friend. His words collide with my worries, freeing them from the tether I had been holding tight. They float away. I am left with a renewed spirit and a new way to write my own headlines. I think this is really cool because we are in control of our own headlines, right? We can focus on what's going on in the world, the crazy things that are happening, the negative, the worry. But why not when I come home, it's, you know, daughter screams, dad, dad, runs like a cheetah. You know, to get to Dada, to welcome him home. That's my headline, right? That was a long headline. Um, but create your own headlines. Create every single day. Find those moments that are going to make you, you know, proud to be alive. Proud to be where you are. Proud to be a husband. Proud to be a father. And make those your defining moments. And as we change that perspective, every day 
can be a magical day in 2020. That's a wrap, man. Dude, Mitchell, thanks a ton. I know this was kind of unorthodox. This is a first for you and I, uh, and it's meant a lot. I've learned a ton, and uh, I just appreciate you so much, man. Like, I love you. I love your family. I'm glad we've had this chance to kind of get to know each other better, and now formally in the format of a podcast, apparently, because that's what we're doing now. (laughs) So I appreciate you entertaining me. This was awesome. Absolutely. No, thanks so much for having me on. This is, I love you. And, you know, I return the, return the love. This has been something that has, you know, it's, it's been great. We once were such gapped by age, Mm -hmm. but now that's gone. And, and it's been just incredible getting to know you, your family, your children, and, and uh, love the friendship that has developed and excited to just see each other grow and um, you're doing incredible things can't wait to tune in on this podcast for many episodes to come love what you're doing and just appreciate you giving me the time thanks man I am so happy you are still here. I appreciate you hanging on. If, if you liked anything that you heard, I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear your commentary. If there's any questions you hoped I'd ask and I didn't quite get there, let me know. We can always do a follow-up. Um, also, it helps me kind of learn, you know, what are what are you hearing that maybe I'm missing and I can get better at that. Uh, if you're enjoying this, please hit the subscribe button. Please share this. And again, thanks for being here.